Hello, Frighters. I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, 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 my Frighters. What is up? This is another episode of Fight or Fright with me, Holland. And so before I get into the full episode, like one fuck this Rona thing, I mean, being on furlough and trying to look for jobs is probably one of the fucking worst things ever. It is so frustrating, so annoying, and I'm so over it. It's so hard to find a job right now. (laughs) And I am glad that I have this podcast to have something to put my mind to because this is super fun and I love bringing you guys these episodes every week. And then another thing, I am like riding on a high this week because I was watching the I'll Be Gone in the Dark HBO documentary about Michelle McNamara and catching the Golden State Killer. And I saw Karen Kilgariff and Billy Jensen. And so I tweeted about seeing them and how much I love them. And Karen ended up following me, which was so fucking exciting. I was so happy about that. I was like, oh, my God, Um, because my favorite murder is for sure one of my biggest inspirations for doing a podcast and also basically just owning my love of true crime. So I was so fucking excited. So in honor of that, and maybe because I was already doing a little research on it, I am doing a hometown episode this week. So I grew up in a place that I absolutely loved, right outside of Philadelphia. I mean, I fucking hated school, hated middle school, whatever. I was one awkward motherfucking teen. It's ridiculous. But (laughs) I loved where I grew up and how close I was to Philly and the people I was able to surround myself with. So I'm going to go into my hometown. And y'all might recognize this if you are as big Investigation Discovery fans as I am. Because I am a huge fan of those fucking trashy, stupid, horribly, I can't think of the word, horribly reenacted shows. They're like my crack. It's ridiculous. But if you watch Investigation Discovery, you probably have seen the recent special about the case I'm going to talk about this week. So this week I am speaking about the Lost Boys of Bucks County. The story begins with the first teen to go missing. On July 5th of 2017, Jimmy Patrick said goodbye to his grandparents. He said to them that he was going to be going to Chick-fil-A with some friends, wasn't going to be too long. I mean, he was on summer break in Newtown, Pennsylvania. He was studying business at Loyola University in Maryland, like... He was just on his summer break trying to live his best life. I remember those days. I kind of wish that was still a thing where I could just like fucking have a whole summer to do like nothing and be able to go home. I I miss those good old days. Like I said, finding a job is hard these times. (laughs) But life hadn't always been super easy for Jimmy. He lived with his grandparents because his 
mother suffered from mental health issues. She was schizophrenic and his grandparents basically took him from the day that he was born. So he was 19 years old, but for a teen, from all accounts, it seems that Jimmy was a fairly responsible kid. He had a job. He contributed. He even bought his grandmother's car with his own money from working. And Jimmy usually woke up his grandparents when he would get home. He'd kind of just like shake them, peek in, be like, hey, what's up? Uh, I'm home, just so you know, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't get this greeting. And it's funny because when I was in Bucks County, when I was living at home, we had like this like ding, 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 like thing. Whenever you open the door, it made like these like beeping sound. So (laughs) we didn't even have to go into the like room to wake our parents up. It just the the ding, ding, ding would wake them up and then you'd be walking upstairs and my mom would peek her head out the room and be like, oh, hey, (laughs) but Jimmy didn't greet his grandparents like he normally did. And so on July 6th, they had realized he hadn't come home at all that night. And at, like at first, they're kind of like, maybe he's with friends. Maybe he stayed somewhere and just like forgot to tell us his phone died. Like a lot of times I feel like people's first reaction is is not to go to the worst case scenario. So his grandparents tried to get in touch with him, but it was to no avail. They tried reaching out to all of his friends because he was telling them that he was going to Chick-fil-A with friends. So they reached out to every friend that they knew and no one knew what they were talking about. And sadly, the grandparents eventually came to the realization that he lied to them about where he was going. The police were brought in. It doesn't seem that they were doing as much as the grandparent Jimmy's grandparents would have liked. They they weren't bad, but it was a holiday weekend. People hanging out with friends, going to the beach. It didn't necessarily raise too many alarm bells. So they just thought maybe he's hanging out with his friends. The police ended up pinging Jimmy's phone. It was pretty freaking far from where he lived in Newtown, Pennsylvania. Not really close at all. So the grandparents by around like the 7th or 8th of July, they just wanted more to be done. So they ended up hiring a private investigator. The PI contacted Bucks County detectives and the PI received word from the Middletown Police Department that another young man had gone missing and his parents had reported it. I don't know why every time I hear the word P.I., all I can fucking think about is Veronica Mars and like this young blonde teen trying to solve the case and crack the case. It is not that. But anyway, they received word that another kid was reported missing. So on July 8th, it was found that Dean Finicaro was also missing. Dean was a teen like any other teen. He kind of tested the limits. He kind of seemed like an adrenaline junkie and liked to drive fast and have a good time and basically just be a young kid. Like he he was just living his life. But he had had some run ins with the law in Bucks County. He from what it seems like he wasn't a bad kid, but he also didn't always make the 
best choices. When I was watching the Lost Boys of Bucks County documentary, his parents were saying how things seemed to be getting a little bit a little bit better and he seemed to be getting more of a sense of responsibility and accountability because of a job that he had just gotten. So on July 7th, during the day, Dean said goodbye to his mom. His mom was going to have a fun ladies weekend at the beach. I cannot, I don't, I don't know which beach it was, but if you're from the Bucks County area, it was most likely like Atlantic City, Ocean City, Maryland, or Ocean City, New Jersey, or like somewhere like that. But he said goodbye to his mom. So it was just Dean and his dad at home. They hung out, they went to dinner, and his dad was just kind of enjoying the time with him because it wasn't always the case that it was just him and his son, Dean. So they go to dinner, they get sushi, which is also one of my favorite fucking foods. So like, good on ya. But sadly, when they got back, Dean told his dad that he was going to be going back out with a neighborhood kid. He said he wouldn't be long, like maybe 15, 20 minutes. But as an hour passes, his dad is attempting to reach him, call him, text him, just bombard him. And if you ask like any of my friends, you will know what that's like. But (laughs) I'm definitely one of those people that texts a bunch of smaller texts and not like a big paragraph. But anyway, Dean's dad ended up calling his wife and Dean's mom because he just I'm not a parent, but I always hear it talked about like this certain like you kind of get this feeling when something bad has happened to your kid. And he for sure had that feeling at that moment. They'd still heard nothing the next morning. And when it came to the next night, Dean's mom and dad were both at home now. It'd been over 24 hours. They hadn't heard a word from him, which wasn't normal. I mean, I am addicted to my phone. And I know a lot of us millennials and Gen Z and like... Everyone are addicted to their phones, so they called the police. Officer Megan Freer came to the house to take the statement. She knew of Dean and had heard of him before, and she just happened to be the officer that was on duty when the Finicaros called the police so that they could report their son missing. Officer Megan Freer was pulling up to the house and knocked on the door, And when she got there, it was Dean's parents and close friends who awaited her at the house. Officer Freer was thinking, "Mm, it's kind of either a whole lot of something or a whole lot of nothing, as she says in the Lost Boys of Bucks County documentary. She kind of got the feeling that something was off, though, because Dean was a teen and hadn't been in communication with anyone in his life, and his phone was off. So the family and police looked into Dean's social media. They reached out to everyone that was part of his social media and kind of accounted for them and if they'd seen him and everything. But one name pops up that they could not account for, could not get in touch with, and was not answering them. And that was Cosmo DiNardo. 
Things led investigators to kind of check out Cosmo. They thought originally that he could have been one of the missing teens, like he was just another missing teen and that something bad could have happened to him too. Or that one of the one or all of the other kids were like hanging out with him. They were at a different place. So so they went to the, to the DiNardo residence and his mother, Cosmo DiNardo's mom, Sandra, answered the door and said he wasn't home and wasn't going to be home until later. But when two other teens, Thomas Mayo and Mark Sturgis, were reported missing on the same night as Dean and a car that belonged to Thomas Mayo was found in an abandoned shed on the DiNardo property in Solberry. This property looked like it hadn't been lived in in ages, especially this little shed garage thing. Like, it was cobwebbed, it was dusty, but this car was not. It didn't seem like it was sitting on the property long at all. So officers found this a little bit suspicious. The property was being searched because they believed that Cosmo DiNardo was responsible for the disappearances and possible deaths of these men. Originally, I think they thought maybe everyone was just partying on that farm, the abandoned farm area that the DiNardos owned, and that they were all partying, having a good time. It was the 4th of July weekend, which I didn't even realize this until I started researching this episode, but this episode is going to come out the day after 4th of July. So it's going to be three years to the day that that Jimmy Patrick went missing, which is just so sad. But I didn't even mean for that to happen. But ironically, it did. It's crazy. But anyway, the grandparents of Jimmy didn't really think that he was involved with the other three missing boys. He was the only one that went missing on not on the same night as them. He went missing two days before them. And his phone, when it when they checked the ping, didn't add up because it wasn't even remotely close to the area that the other boys were believed to be and where their phones pinged. But when they double checked and got in touch with the carrier and did all the stuff behind the scenes that investigators and law enforcement does, there was sadly no disputing that he was a part of whatever happened to these other boys and that he was one of them. The ping showed that he was also in the same area. Also, Dean, he knew Cosmo. They knew each other from school. They went to Holy Ghost Prep. And that night, he was going to buy marijuana from Cosmo and Cosmo's cousin, Sean Kratz. They killed him, and then after that, they met with Thomas Mayo and Mark Sturgis, who were also trying to buy marijuana from Cosmo. The two were shot, but Cosmo, from what I saw, and if I remember correctly, he ran out of ammo. Even if that wasn't the case, this next part is still horrific, and Cosmo still did do this. Thomas didn't end up dying right away, so Cosmo got a backhoe that was used on the farm, and he used it to finish off Thomas Mayo. He then burned the three bodies and put them into like a makeshift pork or pig roaster, something like that. So eventually Cosmo was arrested on a firearms charge. They kind of just wanted to get him out of the street and investigate a little bit more and just kind of have him 
where they knew where he was because they were starting to think that maybe he was very dangerous and he killed these people and they kind of just wanted to wait until they could find things. But Cosmo DiNardo belonged to a a rich family. They they had money and his father was able to pay 10% of the bail and got him out quickly. Cosmo was actually let out while investigators were still searching the Solbury property. To the family of the victims just has to feel like a fucking slap in the face that he was out walking free and they're checking his property because the investigators believe that he did this to their kids. So eventually Cosmo was charged with the murders of these four young men. In order to take the death penalty off of the table, Cosmo ended up making a plea deal with prosecutors and confessed to everything. The murders that took place on July 7th, as they also involved Sean Kratz, he was also implicated and charged with these murders. But Kratz had a record and Cosmo had gotten in some trouble with the law in the past, but he was never charged with anything. He was always kind of let off with like like with the firearms charge. He he never really had any actual charges stick, but he'd kind of like come in touch with law enforcement before. But Kratz, Sean Kratz, his cousin, did already have a record and he would not plead guilty. He ended up going to trial and he was found guilty. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Now that we have this story and we have the victims and heard all the awful, disgusting, gruesome details of the backhoe and what happened to the victims, I found a article in Philly Magazine or Philadelphia Magazine. I found it online. And so I kind of want to speak to this article, which said a little bit more about Cosmo and his state of mind. This article talked about his mental illness. In the days between the two murders, from the fi- because the murders were on the 5th and the 7th. So on the 6th, Cosmo was driven to his psychiatrist, Dr. Kohler. Cosmo had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, schizoaffective disorder, and schizophrenia. He was on meds, though from what this article says, and I only saw it on this article because this Philly Magazine article was the only one that really went into his mental illness. It says that his meds were being lowered, and actually Dr. Kohler on the 6th, when he'd already committed a murder decided that he wasn't a threat to anyone and took him off of all the medications he was on. And while Cosmo was in the waiting room waiting for this appointment with Dr. Kohler, he was Googling and researching things about the soup maker cartel. This cartel murders victims and dissolves them in acid. And I'm not going to go too into that because I'm actually pretty fucking scared of cartels. So that's all I'm going to say about that. He had been placed in hospitals on psychiatric holds multiple times before these murders occurred. And even Cosmo's mom in this article, they say how she spoke to how hard Cosmo had been as a kid for the year before this murder. 
She was living in fear that he would attack someone in the family because of violent outbursts, which is why he was placed in psychiatric holds and put in hospitals because of his erratic, violent behavior. Sandra knew that he was violent, but both Sandra and Cosmo's psychiatrist, I think they just didn't understand the gravity of how dangerous he was to others. In the years before these murders, Cosmo had stopped playing football because he had so many concussions. And around a year before the murders, Cosmo was in a horrible ATV accident, according to this Philly Magazine article. And this is when Sandra says that she really noticed that his behavior was shifting and he was becoming more violent. So near Christmas of 2016, Dr. Kohler had changed Cosmo's meds and Sandra was just praying to get her son back. She just wanted the Cosmo that she knew before the ATV accident and before his behavior started shifting. These meds weren't perfect, but when he woke up one morning, Sandra got to see a glimpse of the son that she knew and her old son. And on top of that, Cosmo's struggle with mental illness, his cousin, Sean Kratz, also suffered from mental illness. So the, these two kind of fed off each other in the worst way. And my heart aches for the families of these victims. What happened to their children and their grief cannot go unnoticed or not talked about. But I also don't know how cut and dry this case is. Obviously, Cosmo and Sean are guilty as fuck. They did these crimes and they deserve to pay for what they did. I am not disputing that. But when it comes to culpability, this kind of has to be thought into the situation, too. I only read this one article from Philly Magazine about Cosmo's mental illness because it seems like they were the only ones that tried to delve into it. If what they're saying is true and he suffered from concussions while playing football and then had another horrible injury due to an ATV accident where he probably could have either gotten another concussion or another traumatic brain injury, he may not have been in his right mind. He could have had CTE or TBI and I'm by no means a doctor and I don't know if this is the case at all. But if it is true that his behavior became more violent after the ATV accident, you kind of have to wonder, like, what was going on with his brain? When I think about brain injuries, I usually think of the story I heard in my psychology classes. It's the story of Phineas Gage, who worked for the railroad and had a large iron rod driven through his head. It went through his frontal lobe and obviously it affected him. He survived, but if what I remember from my psych classes is true, everyone that knew him reported a change in his personality and behavior, and they spoke to the fact that he had become more aggressive. It's obviously not the same exact thing, but I bring it up because our brain is something that scientists still don't think they know everything about. The brain is like a weird, wild thing that it's just amazing what it can do. So who knows what all of the concussions with a horrible ATV accident, who knows what that could have done to Cosmo's brain. I don't mean to say that he shouldn't be held responsible and that he didn't do these things because he did. And I know that there's no doubt about that. 
But if he was taken off his meds, which he was on meds for some fucking serious mental illnesses, and the psychiatrist declined to speak in the Philly Magazine article, so I can't say this for sure, but if he was being taken off his meds, this these are serious mental illnesses that he was said to be dealing with. And not being on his meds, it just kind of seems to me like when someone is schizophrenic or has a very bad mental illness and they're on meds and they start to feel better. So when they feel better, they stop taking their medicine and then they regress. It just kind of seems like that would be the case because these are serious mental illnesses. And I think that that Sean and Cosmo being in prison forever, the families will never get their children back. And my heart breaks for them because what happened is horrible and they'll never get their kids back. But they are in jail forever. I just don't think it's as cut and dry as he's a psychotic, awful, horrible murderer. I think there was a lot of mental health at play. And I just also want to add that when it comes to these things where a lot of times people tend to want to find someone to blame, I think. And obviously Cosmo and Sean are the ones that killed them. They're to blame. But then a lot of people look at the at the killer's families. And I think that we sometimes forget that those the families of the person who committed these horrible acts are also mourning. Cosmo's mom, Sandra, she is probably hurting too. And I think that this feeling and the feeling and the the guilt and everything that Sandra, Cosmo's mom, has to deal with is best described in a TED Talk I watched. And this TED Talk was hosted by the mother of one of the Columbine shooters. And she talks about the grieving process that she had to go to when go through when her kid did one of the, still probably one of the most well-known horrible school shootings. Sadly, today, those seem to be not as rare of an occurrence as it was with Columbine, but still, you sp she speaks to the grieving process. And also in court, this is shown by Sandra when she was in court. While Cosmo was pleading guilty, she had to leave the courtroom and she quietly was mumbling and saying to the victims of the family that she's sorry. Dean's mom, apparently, according to the Philly magazine, thanked her for saying that. And Jimmy's grandmother was apparently silent, but gave a wink and a thumbs up as Sandra ran out of the courtroom crying. I'm not taking the, the, the sadness, the devastation, the horrible things that the victim's family have to go through because like their kids are gone and nothing can bring them back. And there's just so much sadness and despair that goes along with that. If you watch the TED Talk, it kind of put my mind in a different in a different realm and also got me thinking about like what this also does to the family of the person who committed these horrible crimes, because it doesn't necessarily mean that Sandra was a bad mom or that she's a horrible person like it. It doesn't necessarily mean that. So there's it's just it's so sad what happened and. 
I realize that what I'm I'm saying is an unpopular opinion. And before I watched that TED talk from the mother of the Columbine shooter, I probably would have thought that Sanders probably did something wrong and that she's the reason her son ended up that way. But once I watched that TED talk again, I was like, it's not it might not be as cut and dry as that. And so I started to kind of feel for the family of both the victims because what happened to them is horrible. But I also feel for the the family that's left picking up the pieces of their life when their kid or their family member becomes a murderer. And I know what happened is tragic. And I want to cry for the families of the victims. I think it's all horrible and terrible. And I'm glad that Cosmo and Sean are where they are in jail. And I also hope that maybe they're getting the help that they need for their mental health because they seem to both have mental health issues. And so the the way that this is like my hometown is I went to school in Newtown where Jimmy lived. I'd been to New Hope to get my third ear piercing and the main street is just so cute. I also have memories of seeing like my first play, The Sound of Music in Newtown. I know these areas well and I've driven them. I've driven the roads. I've driven these things many, many times. And when I first heard of these crimes, I remember thinking that things like this just don't happen in Bucks County. Like Bucks County is fucking boring. There's nothing here. I had to drive like 20 minutes to get to the nearest movie theater. Like I was like, this is a boring town. Nothing fucking happens here. But it did. And I was shocked when this stuff started showing up on my Facebook feeds. Like, look what happened in Bucks County and blah, 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 blah. Like, this is where I grew up. And it kind of added a bit of like paranoia and like, oh my gosh, like this stuff can happen anywhere. It can happen here. Like it can happen anywhere. So this case makes me feel so many different ways, but it definitely hits closer to home because it is my home. It's where I grew up and it's the area I know well. So that is my episode for today. I know that everyone might not completely agree with my opinions and what I said. And also, like I said, the mental health stuff, I could only find that in the Philly magazine. They seem to be the only journalists that were looking into his mental health. So I only found it there. So I can't 100% verify all of it. But I thought it was important to kind of go into that because from the moment I heard this, I, I thought someone that was in their right mind, I don't, not that someone that's not in their right mind wouldn't kill someone, but I just, this crime didn't seem to be done by someone who was in their right mind. To me, I always kind of thought that this was, there was mental illness at play here. So that's this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. I love all of you guys. Thank you for listening. And you can find me on Instagram at Holland Elise or at Fight or Fright Pod. You can find me on Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Fight Fright Pod. And you can email me, talk to me, get in touch with me at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. If you guys could, I would 
really love and appreciate if you could spread the word about this podcast, kind of just tell your friends, rate and review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, just anything you can do. It really helps and I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome and join me next week for a whole new case. Bye guys. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at Fight or Fright Pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.